you have to believe in yourself because it's all on you at the end of the day. You you will wear a lot of hats. You will have a lot of sleepless nights, right? But it's all under your control. And so just being able to stay in a positive mindset and push through the challenges takes a lot of, of confidence and just belief in yourself. So I would say if you're on the fence about it, if you don't believe in yourself, right, who else will? So I'd say that's the biggest thing. If you can do it, take that leap of faith and believe in yourself. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to the dirt. Joining us today is an innovative entrepreneur who has mastered the combined approach of agile rapid development and nearshore delivery. More on these terms later. Through this approach, he's helped companies of all sizes to develop incredible custom apps in addition to other use cases, including DevOps transformations. <laughs> Lots of big stuff. In today's conversation, we're going all in on product and services, from selling them to delivering them and all the lessons learned in between. Founder and CEO of RevStar Consulting, Ken Pamela, welcome to The Dirt. Jim, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely, man. So let's start with the basics, with the foundation of how you got here. Who are you and how'd you get here? So, so basics are I'm a kid from Chicago. And just grew up in an IT family. So my dad worked at IBM. My mom was a programmer. So technology was just kind of always around. I had some of the first computers uh, my dad would bring home from work. And I, there's pictures of me playing on them when I'm two years old. And at some point, he taught me how to fix them. And so I just I was always a, around technology. It was always a passion. It was fun. Uh, with that said, my my initial dreams were to play in the NBA, right? Basketball was my my other love. and as a kid, I was always really tall, so that seemed like a possibility, but uh, unfortunately didn't grow much after freshman year, so had to kind of pivot back into the technology career path, and so took a lot more uh, programming classes in high school, and, and I had some experience just you know teaching myself as a kid, but got really more focused in on, on doing that as a career at that point. Uh, started a web design business in high school, so you know just kind of the the late 90s early 2000s.com uh boom right where you know paying a kid a couple hundred bucks to make a website was was an option so i started a side business doing that but i was always you know kind of fast tracked to get into my career and doing this for a living so i graduated high school a year early uh started college worked during the day did night school so um you know 17 years old working as a developer in night class with people twice my age, which ended up being a blessing because I learned so much so quickly. And then, you know, to kind of fast forward a couple of years into my career, I decided to move to Tampa. This is 2008 tech scene here, not like what it was today, but kind of had a similar opportunity to when I was in high school, there was, you know, apps were just coming out. And so asking somebody to build you a mobile novel was a mobile app. It was kind of the cool thing, what websites were in the, the late 90s. 
I was able to start RevStar and it was kind of a side hustle for me, just building little apps. And, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of folks that could do that at the time. So that's, that's really kind of how we got to today. Obviously grown a lot since then, but being that it was a side hustle for me, it remained that way for many years. Um, I got very passionate about cloud technology, uh, kind of around the mid 2010s. Uh, so, you know, I was running departments and we're doing side projects at Revstar. And the company kind of serendipitously grew where I'm running a couple of projects outside of my day job. And we're doing these you know, cloud native scalable solutions. And I'm having a hard time finding good vendors and resources to do this in my day job. You know, just kind of looking at the need in the market. And also at some point, this business started to grow where it was focus on it or let it go just because it was getting tough to do both. So with, with that said, the, all the kind of indicators were, hey, it's time to take the take the leap of faith. And there's a need for the services you provide now more than ever. And, and I saw on the horizon that some of the, the cloud native and the way we build uh, maybe wasn't mainstream yet, but it was logical that it would get there. Uh, so it was a lot of a lot of just being exposed to things, a lot of serendipity, and some just you know the the faith of uh, jumping in and and trying to do things when the opportunities arose. You're too modest, man. <laughs> so what w- when was it that you finally made the jump from side hustle to damn, I really got something here? Yeah, I think so. It, it was 2018 officially, and I think you know I was kind of preparing for it before then, but it was kind of taking that final just leap of faith, right? Because you, I mean, I'm, you know, running departments at this time, making a very good salary bonus, things that as a kid, even out of reach at that time, right? So I I could already already say, hey, I've accomplished so much. Um, And to give that up and kind of basically barely be able to pay my bills, right? (laughs) Going all in on the company. And, and And that's probably a little bit exaggerated. I had some clients at that point. So it was a little less scary than if I just walked away and said, I have no no business, no no nothing, right? I'm going to go head out on my own. So I think I did it smart in yeah. that way. I mean, it was it was challenging, and I worked a lot, but it, it did make you know kind of that leap of faith a little bit softer of a landing. But you still have to put the blinders on, right? You know, I was like, hey, I'm never coming back here because you can't look at it like, well, I can always go back, right? So you have to just say, I'm going to make this work. I'm all in. And so even, even with that said, there's still a lot of work to do and, and you have to, like I said, just really put those blinders on and be hyper-focused on, you know, how do I go from having a couple of clients in this side business to an actual real business with the, the number of customers and revenue that you would want to have, uh, you know, even, even to be comfortable, right? <laughs> Yeah. So 10, 10 years of side hustle, right? About five, you, you jumped and you said, this is it. W- was there some big event that like, was it a big customer that came in that, that allowed for you to do that? Was it just a mindset shift? What was it that was there? Like, what was the trigger that ultimately, you know, drove that change? I think it was just a, a few things, the stars aligning on. I was kind of burnt out in the, the corporate rat race, right? I knew that there was a need. I was having trouble finding this help. So I said, well, if I'm having this trouble, and I may have been a little bit ahead of the curve on the cloud native adoption, but I knew it was coming, right? You know, technologies like serverless, and these are just high scale, cost effective. It made sense. Other people would want to leverage these. Uh, so, you know, that was a big thing. And, and you just, some of it, just the mindset, right? 
Uh, it, it takes a certain, you know, you have to be in a certain space to walk away from everything you've built uh, to, again, even if it was a soft landing for me because I had some work, uh, it, it still could have gone the opposite direction. So you, you have to just prepare yourself for that from a mental perspective. Yeah, 10 years of preparation. <laughs> well, so what uh, for other folks, because there's a lot of people that go through that that mindset shift, right? Or that, you know, maybe they don't even end up shifting the mindset. It stays a side hustle forever. What what tips do you have for others that are going through kind of that that stage that you were in of where you finally decided to pull the trigger? I think it becomes a confidence thing, right? So just being able to walk away and, and not be afraid that it you can't do it. So just believe in yourself. You you manifest things, right? It's it's amazing when I think about it. If you walk away with the attitude, hey, I'm going to make this work no matter what, and you just put the pedal to the metal and you keep pushing forward, uh, it's it's not that scary anymore, right? And you have to believe in yourself because it's all on you at the end of the day. You you will wear a lot of hats, you will have a lot of sleepless nights, right? But it's all under your control. And so just being able to stay in a positive mindset and push through the challenges takes a lot of, of confidence and just belief in yourself. So I would say if you're on the fence about it, if you don't believe in yourself, right, who else will? So I'd say that's the biggest thing. You can do it. Take that leap of faith and believe in yourself. Love it. Love it. All right. So fast forward to today. What is the What did the company look like then in 2018? And what does the company look like today? Yeah, it's quite different. So I was doing project management, right? sales, which really was referrals, right? I wasn't sitting there making phone calls during the day, but you know, it was, it was a lot, you know, I was wearing a lot of hats. I had someone helping with some of the, the, you know, team management, right? we had about 16 people on projects at that point. Today I have over 130 people. Uh, we have a, a dev shop in Columbia, we're in, you know, our headquarters is still here in Tampa. We just started opening up a footprint in Austin. So a lot, you know, very different than where I was with a handful of folks. And we have an executive team and we have, I think, maybe like 16 product managers now. So just, uh, you know, much bigger processes have evolved over time. So the way I was doing things while I'm uh, juggling all these different tasks and also trying to work a day job, right, was, uh, was a little bit more of the wild west and so we've refined that over time as as folks are owning these roles and the, it's interesting because as you grow you solve one problem the next one pops up and you can imagine we've had we've doubled in size the last 4 years so adding twice as many wow. team members every year is is can be a challenge right and the things that work with 16 people don't work at 32 people don't work at 130 people i think just a lot of pivoting, uh, learning very quickly, and just making sure we write these things down and putting an emphasis on having those SOPs and training folks when they come in. It looks a lot different today than it did back then. So I, I mentioned in my in my intro two of your special skills, which are also coincidentally the the firm special skills, which is the combination of really kind of taking a rapid agile development and transformation process and also combining that with nearshore delivery which you mentioned Columbia you've got a a big team in Bogota right is that correct that's, yep that's correct and now you've got obviously some onshore in in Austin and obviously in Tampa so 
when you combine those two things, right, growing a services company 100% year over year for four straight years <laughs> is is not nominal. <laughs> like, it is that is a big feat to be able to do something like that. So, you know, is it the secret sauce that you guys have in combining those things or what can you what can you attest to that's that's allowed you to see that type of scale? I think a lot of it is the the way we approach customers, right? Obviously, we meet folks where they're at. So we do bring a consultative approach to software development, you know, so not only the agile and the DevOps, which helps get to market quicker, helps with consistency and quality, but also helping folks figure out what they want to build, right? The solutions portion of it, which a lot of people don't do. They come in and say, how many developers do you need? They have the the notepad, okay, 10 of those. So bringing that thought leadership, product design, we do UX. So we, I always say we're a full service shop. Yeah. Uh, so being able to take an idea from a napkin to market, uh, sometimes in three to four months, has, has allowed us to help a lot of folks that maybe wouldn't have been able to do that same thing in a different model. Uh, and as far as you know, being able to do some of the work nearshore, that's a cost savings thing, right? And so we always run at least some kind of hybrid approach. So you'll have your product management, uh, solutions architecture, the DevOps work, all that done onshore. And then we can do either some of the dev work or all of the dev work nearshore. And that just helps with a, a blended rate that's more affordable than if we did a pure onshore model. Uh, and you know there are use cases that we have in a financial institution where we have to do all the work near or onshore, and, and that's fine. It just comes at a different price tag, right? So again, be, we've been able to help folks with that hybrid model that may there may have been a budget issue otherwise. So I think that's been another unique value prop where you're getting the attention, the you know access, right, to somebody that's here. Uh, they understand your business model. Is there, you know, there is there is something to understanding how business is done in the, the United States, right? Especially in certain industries. And then we're kind of in the kitchen making the product, right? At a at a lower cost. So I think yeah, that definitely does provide a unique business model. We've been able to help some folks where we may not have without it. All right. You know I'm gonna ask the question. What is what are some of the lessons learned or some of the dirt, if you will? And in in growing it that that might have set you back at some point, right? Something that really anything that really stands out that you wish you could go back and change? I, I don't think I would change any of it because those scars are a part of the story, right? You don't get better without those. So uh, I think there's certain things whenever you bring someone on, you want to give them autonomy, but you still have to make sure, you know, that your culture is protected. So we've brought in plenty of folks for operations roles, brought them in on projects and you you want to hand things off, right? They tell you as a CEO, well, find other people to do things for you, but you have to be tactical about that. So there's been a few times where we've brought people in, they've had good ideas, uh, they've had some bad ideas. So we've had to take a lot of the good with the bad, sometimes pivot, sometimes go back and you know, undo some things and, and set them back to something that's more in alignment with our our core values, core behaviors, right? And, and so I think just sticking to the the things that made you successful at its core is important. But um, you don't you don't grow if you don't bring new people in, right? If you don't try new ideas. And so there's there's always been some again good with the bad. So we've been good about taking in in the things that make sense, adopting the the them, 
modifying the process and then moving forward. But yeah, I mean, we always have setbacks. I had a CTO at one point and, and he was, Hey, I need, I need to do things this way. I'm like, okay. And you have to watch that. So you're 90 days in. And like I said, some good things, some things that I would say didn't work out well. And, and ultimately you end up where you're supposed to be, right? Sometimes those, those people don't fit at the end of the day, right? But you got value out of it. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing I can say is as you bring people in, you will take in the good with the bad and, and just always, my lesson's always been protect the core values and the ethos behind the company that, that I built. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're, you're a tech guy who's hired a CTO and, and had it not worked out. Right. I mean, imagine the folks out there who are sales experts or just SMEs and something. Right. And they, like, they don't even know what CTO stands for chief technology <laughs> officer, by the way. And and so hearing that from you and, and some of the things you went through is is uh it's important for other people to hear that even the tech experts have tech hiring troubles. What yeah, what what was it that alarmed you that needed to move in a different direction? What was it anything specific? I think it was you ultimately find out that it's not the right fit and I don't know if alarmed is the right word, but there's part of the issue with someone on the technical side, and I kind of say this tongue in cheek because I come from that that background, right? But uh, there's a tendency to be very technology first versus customer first. And I'm the total opposite of that. Like to me, technology is a tool to provide a solution for a business problem. And so if we're building something, it has to make sense and add value for the customer. It doesn't matter how cool the technology is. With that said, we try to be a very you know, progressive company from a technology perspective, always using latest cloud tools and pushing ourselves to learn what's out there to provide solutions that are more cost effective. But at the end of the day, being able to put the customer first is very important for me. It's just a little bit of a different ethos and some people are purely technical. And so that sometimes the, the value uh, that those values don't align. But like I said, a lot of good things were, were brought into. Ultimately, I, I wasn't, he decided to to move on. You know, I, I, it wasn't even my decision. Uh, and then, you know, he he kind of felt that he wasn't able to to do what he wanted, which is understandable that he could start his own business in theory, right? But these are, these are just the things that you, you learn as you go, not, you know, give it a chance and not everything's going to work out. But I'd say for the time that he was here, uh, brought a lot of good things in as well. Yeah, that's, that's important to notice the positive. When you are looking at other roles that you've hired for, right? I know you've recently hired some some folks on the sales side, on the growth side, chief growth officer being one of them. What What was it that made you finally decide to alleviate you as the founder, as the number one salesperson, as the sales leader? What what was it that that made you make that decision? I think it's just, you know, about how much ground you can cover. Right? So if you want to keep growing, um, I can only have so many conversations. And also, I'm not a classically trained salesperson, right? So uh, a lot of yeah. what I did building relationships and, you know, that's not a really a scalable sales process. So bringing in somebody that, you know, I'm from, from a CGO perspective and understands sales, marketing, 
Um, they've done that job. They've done it at a high level in, in different types of industries. It's just logical, right? Trying to build out the sales process myself when I've only really known it one way may not work for everyone else. Even the sales folks we brought out, well, how do you sell this? And it's like, that won't work for you, right? It's not the same thing. The way you you talk about your company and and everything from being a founder is totally different. And the, even the experience I've had coming from a technical background. So before I did that, I, I really had to break apart the process, even when I was just doing it, you know, so I played the, hey, I'm the sales guy. I don't, I'm not, on this call, trying to help you figure out a solution. I'm going to bring in the team for that, right? So I prepared early on just to have a process that wasn't, I wasn't at the center of it, right? So it was a little bit easier now that they're here to explain to them, here's how we do it and not have to put the pressure on them that they have to be these solution architects on top of business development. Uh, So I think, you know, that, that was another thing that kind of happened over time. And, and I waited until it made sense to bring that role on and start to build a team uh, when I had the process down enough where I could train somebody. But there's there's things I didn't realize in the beginning. You know, we built a sales playbook before I brought that on because I had literally nothing written down. So trying to teach somebody what's in my head or even looking at the different value props we provide to different businesses, uh, it's it's a lot easier for me to understand that on the fly, right? And pivot in a conversation. So I had to get all that written down, uh, at least in, in a rough draft, right? Before I even brought on an executive in that role so that they could kind of take it, run with it and teach other folks. And is that from a, a lesson learned where you did where you did something different the first time? Or did you just know to do that the first time? No, I so I, I actually tried to build a sales team in the past. And so I tried to just do the build the route of hiring some biz dev folks. And so that's how I learned. I don't have this. I don't have that. And so unfortunately, there's there's kind of a science and an art to sales. So you have to look at the numbers, right? But you also have to have the right, I don't say messaging. We don't write scripts, but they have to understand the the way to sell it, right? And a lot of that just wasn't written down. So yeah, I went through definitely a few sales folks where it just didn't turn into what I had hoped it would. And and it's a tough role to fill anyway, right? But it's definitely harder when you don't have anything on paper that you can train them on. Yeah. I mean, you, you think as a founder, because you did it as a founder that, you know, go solve it, right? right. <laughs> like, I solved it. You could solve it. But it's like a founder fallacy, right? Where you can't expect someone who's not the founder to be the founder, <laughs> So that's 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 always interesting hearing people that have that kind of aha moment. And when you when you finally did document it before hiring for it, and now you've recently hired some growth roles, some sales roles, it sounds like things are really starting to click. Yeah, it's the, I definitely see momentum in the right direction now. So one right. one good thing about you know having a bringing an executive now to is like I hand it over kind of the here's. The, the, guess, the rough draft, the first draft, um, he can take it and run with it and do the, the day-to-day training. That's one of those, that's one of those things where you have to constantly update it as you figure things out. Uh, but at least the foundations there, which I didn't have before. And again, I didn't know that nothing prepares you for that when you yeah. don't come from that background. You know, I wasn't in sales that I talked to people. I went through sales training at Xerox or these big companies and they just have this stuff, right? It's, you know, 
you spend weeks in training, there's PowerPoints, there's there's knowledge bases, there's everything's there. Where to your point, it was like, well, I don't know why they don't get this. I get, you know, it just it makes sense to me. But some of it too is is a this is an intimidating product to sell, right? Because it's solutions. So also being able to help them understand it's like, hey, you're not, you're not the solutions architect. You don't have to get in and talk about cloud components and things like that. Um, you just have to know enough to be dangerous and then bring the bring the team in, right? Because it's there's a lot of conversations involved. This isn't I'm a telemarketing magazine subscriptions, right? You have to there's a lengthy process to get to a proposed solution. So you just have to understand that 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 sales cycle is very consultative. It's not this kind of quick, you know, easy to turn around sales sales cycle. Yeah. No, and and that's yeah, that brings me to my next question, which is the way that you guys have been able to deliver successfully on so many great projects and grow the way you have. Obviously, once things are sold, then you got to deliver on it. <laughs> and iteration is so important to what you guys do. So when when you think about the iteration of processes and product and, and how you've built, what you know, what comes to mind in terms of opportunity and, and lessons learned? I think, you know, part of part of the whole agile methodology is not just on the projects, but how you run the business, too. So a lot of people write user stories and plan work, but they don't do the retros after. So inside of the projects, it's important to look at what did we do well? What didn't we do well? Uh, and we've applied that to the business. And I think you, you all, you know, even coming from a background doing you know enterprise development, enterprise agile. I've worked at very large companies all the way down to small businesses. And it's, it is a little different, right? The process is applicable everywhere, but the stakeholders, you know, some of the bureaucracy, being how you get things done is different in, in different size organizations. So we have to also mirror that as well. So you, you learn a lot more, a lot more and quicker when you're working with all types of different customers versus just, you know, you're working at a company. Uh, you have to not only learn the organization, who the players are, how the politics work, right? Sometimes, but then you have to, you have to come in and actually deliver inside of their environment, right? So some people have a lot of red tape and bureaucracy on how you get things into their environment. Uh, some folks are here, here you go, you know, do what you need to do. So every project has its own little challenges. And, and so there's all these micro lessons learned, even from project to project that we'll, we'll go ahead and put back in our, our kind of SOPs and, and make sure we're prepared for it the next time it comes up. Because you never, you never know everything, right? Anyone who sits here and says, oh, yeah, we have it all figured out. We do the same exact thing every time. It doesn't work that way because every situation is unique. I mean, you come in with about 90% of it, right, is applicable, but there's always that 10% that you're dealing with because everybody's culture is different, everybody's business is different. So I think that's the fun part is that we have to constantly push ourselves to evolve and, and for our customers to meet their specific situation. Sure, sure. And and you've obviously needed to bring more people on board and with and with bringing people on board, then comes the need to train them. And you and I have talked a lot about the concept of training people across multiple projects. Um, you mind just speaking a little bit to that and, and how that came to be a core principle of yours? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's them. The two biggest places are on the product management side and then on, on the actual DevOps development end. So again, refining those SOPs around product management, consistency and how we engage the customers, how we write stories, how we run the ceremonies, right? That was very important. And then what we learned was you have to let folks learn from each other. So there's always kind of a shadowing period when they come in. Even if you're an agile expert, right? You know these things. It's different doing it on the, you know, the, the delivery side, right? On the consulting side versus at a product company. Um, it's it's again different because you're dealing with different types of customers and in different industries. So you try to build domain knowledge. So if somebody's in healthcare, we try to keep them in healthcare, but uh, sometimes they do cross over into different industries. And so there's there's a learning curve there as well. But if you if you kind of apply the same principles and practices, you still end up with more of a consistent experience. Uh, on the technical side, just doing as much, I'd say, templated things as we can, right? So a lot of our architectures are 90% similar. Uh, so instead of reinventing the wheel every time, we have libraries filled with Terraform scripts or if we're building... React Native mobile app on AWS Cloud Native, the authentication, a lot of like the bones of it, right, are the same. So we don't have to reinvent how we authorize a user or do 2FA with Cognito. I know some of this is a little technical, but, uh, you know, so just being able to reuse a lot, not, not having to go back and implement these very basic things and teach everyone these very basic things allows you to move much more quickly and bring folks in and get them up to speed. Because remember a lot of this, you know, there weren't cloud native experts, people that built on, let's say, Lambda on AWS. So we had to be good about bringing them in, training them, getting them up to speed. So if they were a Node.js developer, but they never built on Lambda, there was a learning curve there. And we have to get through that very quickly because we have to get them onto projects and billable as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And there's this, concept of documentation and SOPs or standard operating procedures, training, onboarding, like all these things that that you kind of brought up that really just tie back to the way that you're able to scale a business efficiently, right? Is by having these things in place. And I think, you know, in a services business, you're forced to have it, right? Because <laughs> if you don't, your projects are going to go terribly and you're going to lose customers, and it's dependent all on people. In so many tech companies or product companies, they lose sight of the fact that the same thing can happen just because you're not as dependent on individuals or as many individuals to perform services to get dollars doesn't mean that you don't have to operate off the same principles. Uh, any any uh, tips that you might have for others that that may not be as SOP friendly, if you will, <laughs> that are that are kind of going through, how do I get my business in a little bit more operational shape, if you will? Yeah, I, you know, I think just you have to pay attention to what's there. So some some kind of KPI metric around whatever it is you're doing. I mean, let's say you're a SaaS company, and I've seen this so many times where it's a, a very well-funded SaaS company. And so they're not really looking at velocity after every sprint. They're not doing these retros. What did we do well? What did we do not so well? Lessons learned, right? Because it's it's a little less noticeable. Uh, so I think just for me, uh, having good metrics and, and keeping an eye on these things, you can't you can't wait until it's a problem, right? You have to look for any kind of deviation early on. And, and a lot of it is just putting an eye on it. You know, some, I think the, some of the bad part about 
what we do in software development is a lot of people don't put enough attention on it. Um, you know, they know the logo, these guys are building something, right? Yeah, but what is it? Are you getting what you want? So a lot of people, you know, agile is great, but if you don't participate in it, right? If you're not yeah. doing the user acceptance testing, if you're not showing up and giving the feedback, you're not getting the product you want. So you're spending money and you're kind of just treading water. And, and a lot of it is just because people don't put the attention on it. So even if you don't document the process at first, just being involved in it is very important. And it's hard to document something you're not even participating in, right? So uh, I think just getting everybody involved and in, in that's really the the kind of the whole ethos of Agile, right? Is, is people over processes. So we have to have those processes by nature of what we do. But when you're, if you're a small SaaS company where the, the software is your company, that what else is more important than that, right? So I would say just be involved, keep an eye on it. You know, you can't, it's, a, it's like a trust, but verify. So yeah, you hired great people, but you, you're ultimately, you know, especially like I said, when you're smaller, you're ultimately responsible for that product. Uh, whatever it is that, that your company does, even if it's not SaaS. So, yeah, I mean, I would just say early on, just be very involved. And then from there, you can kind of build out these SOPs. And as you grow, it's a little bit easier to hand things off. Trust, but verify, trust, but verify, trust, but verify. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to see you around Tampa or Chicago, just just quoting that all the time, just walking the streets. <laughs> All right. So it's that time of the show for the founder five, which is just five quick hit question that teach us all things growth about all things Ken. <laughs> so <laughs> the first one is number one metric or KPI that you're relentlessly focused on. So for me, it's, it's definitely revenue per client, revenue for project just by the nature of what we do. And that, that also helps me know where do we put the most attention um, but we often have to replace revenue, right? Some some clients we engage with for longer term contracts, some we just build projects, hand them off to them, right? So I think just keeping an eye on where the bulk of our work is happening, where you know we know projects are winding down, that helps also drive the the biz on the biz dev side, right? To know where where are we where do we need to kind of replace projects and also helps with allocation. I know I have somebody rolling off of a project soon. I can see it winding down, but then I can, you know, maybe move a new one in more quickly. So I'd say that's the, the biggest one for us. All right. Top tip for founders that are in their growth stage. Well, that's a good one. I would, I would say, keep, just keep pushing forward, right? Things are happening so fast. Uh, it's overwhelming, but you just have to keep your foot down on the gas. And I think there's also this, tendency to feel like, well, I made it. There's some you know good things happening, but you still have to be very dynamic, make these small pivots. And, and so just being able to, I'd say, move with the speed of the business, but not be afraid to kind of move in another direction if you need to. Early on, it's a little bit easier, right? They tell startup founders always, you may redo your whole business model. So not that drastic of a change at this point, but you're still failing fast and pivoting, right? That that always has to be a part of it when you're growing. Absolutely. Uh, favorite book or podcast that's helped you grow as a founder? That's another good one. I would say what, so Rich Dad, Poor Dad was got, got me to finally quit work. I think that one was good, but 
I'm going to say go giver. And that was, that was a Tampa thing. I think that's such a Tampa book. Yeah. Uh, and, and so really reading that and just the, let's face it, I grew this business with the support of this community, right? Tampa is one of those places where people sit down and say, Hey, how can I help you? And so after reading that book, uh, it was like, made so much sense to me. And so I just, you know, love being a part of this community and, and it's been uh, really transformational for me. So I'd say that one out of anything, especially if you're local here in Tampa is, is a great book. Nice. Love it. All right. What actor would play you in a movie about all the growth that you've achieved? <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say RDJ. I think we're both kind of witty, quirky guys, but, uh, Plus, I just love Iron Man. So if it was my choice, I, I would pick him. Uh, but I'm sure any, anybody would do it justice. <laughs> That's Robert Downey Jr. for those who don't aren't as in touch with your actor acronyms. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I could totally see that. Uh, all right, last one. What is going to be the title of your autobiography when you look back and say, damn, I did a really great job? Oh man, that's another good one. I'm going to say two steps forward and one step back. I think that's that's a great title. I, I say that because there's a lot of challenges, right? Both in life and in business. It's rarely just a smooth journey. So, but the, it's it's great because you ultimately get there. Uh, but there's there are a lot of a lot of obstacles and hurdles in the way. Awesome. Ken, this has been, I mean, insightful to say the least, and you've given a ton to our listeners. So. I always allow for a little bit of self-promotion at the end here. How can how can those listening help you out? I, I would say reach out. You know, I, I love having conversations, um, meeting new people. I think if there's synergies and there's some business to do there, that's great. But I'd say any anybody that I can help, also feel free to reach out. Uh, again, I don't know if that's, that's just been me paying it forward for all the, the folks here that have helped me, but I just love having conversations. And like I said, if, if there's business, they're great, but I think you can never meet enough great people and share enough ideas with everyone. That's awesome. And you're a giver. And because you're so humble, I'm going to just do a shout out here. Ken and his team are awesome at building custom app dev work, like some of the best, especially from an efficiency and cost perspective when they're able to leverage their near shore team. And ultimately, they're also doing some incredible work in high tech stuff like IoT and AI and ML and even some huge DevOps transformations, as, as Ken mentioned before. So if you're looking for something like that, Ken might be your guy. So definitely reach out to him. He'll give back. But if you're in need of something like that, definitely give Ken a call and you got the Jim Barnish blessing. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. All right. So on that note, just closing us off, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you, whether they're able to take care, take advantage of you giving back or they've got, you know, a project in mind for you? Uh, yeah, definitely reach out on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there. You can always go to our website if you want to see some of the work we've done. It's revstarconsulting.com. Uh, but yeah, LinkedIn is always great. I'm always keeping an eye on that. Cool. Awesome, man. Thanks again, Ken. And man, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Jim. You too. I right, see you. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt. <laughs>